This is Invest Like a Honeybee, the podcast where you learn to be smart with your money and invest wisely. Before we get started, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. I'm not an investment advisor. Please make sure you discuss any changes to your portfolio with your registered advisors. I may continue to hold stocks I discuss in this podcast or not, depending on when you listen to this podcast. This is about Invest Like a Honeybee. I'm Henry J. Speck. Let's get started. Welcome to this podcast. Now, I've got a bit of a horsey voice thing going on here. Um, Probably COVID. Uh, The rules here, though, are after seven days, you just uh, don't even test. You just get back to normal. So I'm on my sixth day here. Um, And you're only contagious, they say, for the first three. So I'm feeling pretty good on the other side of this. Um, But if I stop occasionally, uh, you might hear a different uh, voice inflection. It's because I've had to stop (laughs) stop and cough or get a little water. So today's topic, I've got two really. One is about churn. If you haven't heard of it, I'm going to explain it to you and how it can impact your investments. And the other one has to do with a new juicy REIT. I don't know if it's new. It's about a year old, so I guess it's new in total, but new in the sense of I'm nibbling away at it and I'm going to tell you why. So let's talk about churn. So I was thinking the other day, back in the 1980s, when I started investing, if you wanted to buy stock, you had to have a stock broker. You couldn't go online and do a few clicks uh, like you can today and pay eight or nine dollars or some cases nothing to do a trade. Back then it was a percentage of the of what you were buying plus a minimum. So it could be a hundred bucks, could be 150, could be 500 bucks or more to buy and sell stock. That's just the fee to the broker. So one of the issues that have has had come up at that time would be the, the idea of churn. Churn is basically where you're constantly buying and selling things or churning your um, investments so that the person who's directing you makes a commission. So win or lose, they make a commission. So if someone calls you up and says in the 1980s and they'd call me up and say, Hank, I think this is a great stock you should be in. You know, you should buy this. So you say, yes, okay, let's buy it. And bingo, you you pull the, you know, they buy it for you. You have no idea the buy and sell side. You might do market, you might do a price, but it's the broker that decides. Then they call you back and they say, okay, we bought, you know, 100 shares of Belcan and we paid this. This is the commission and this is how much I'm taking out of your account. Or it was just assumed. And then maybe six months later, they say, you know, we bought that Belcana stock, but Northern Telecom's a better one. I think we should move into Northern Telecom. And they give you the reasons and you go, yeah, it makes sense. So not only do you sell your Belcana stock, but you then buy Northern Telecom stock, which means you trigger two uh, commissions to the broker. Now, fortunately, as we move through and we were able to, you know, we have online um online, um, I almost said gambling, (laughs) I guess it is today, online stock, you know, you can put your stocks in online, click a button, uh, you pay eight or nine bucks, you make the decisions. Um, But the problem is the churn can be greater in your own right, because it's harder for you, it's easier for you, sorry, to sell a stock or buy a stock. And so then when you turn on the television, and every day you see something, you know, you watch the uh, CNBC Squawk Box or some other morning show, and they give you, 
you know, the news of the day and what you should buy or sell. Today I was watching and, and it was really, I, I just laugh when I watch this because it doesn't affect anything I do other than to maybe get a sense for what the crowd is being told to do. And today it was all about, they had the expert that I used to respect, um, and I, I don't want to say his name, but he's a person who talks a lot about bonds and infl in interest rates. And he's basically talking today about how the federal government in America has it all wrong. They should not be raising rates. In fact, they should be lowering rates. Now, he doesn't self-disclose if he's short or long bonds or what his position is. But I find most people who come on these shows are pushing their book, if you will. They're trying to influence people to, and, it, and it's legal, perfectly legal to buy and sell certain things based on the side that they're taking. So the churn has to has to do with uh, buying and selling and, and initiating commissions or preference for the person who's actually doing the deal for you. Now, in real estate, we have an interesting thing happening, which I find fascinating to watch and listen to. So I was on the treadmill again today listening. And uh, this person was talking about, you know, the expert was saying that forget Canada, he's moving to the United States to invest in real estate because Canada is a horrible place now because of, you know, inflation, rent controls, government, all kinds of stuff. And so he's selling his properties and he recommends that other people do the same. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Is there churn involved? Just like when I talk about the CNBC guests who talk about something to push their book. Well, of course, the person who's giving the advice is a real estate broker agent who makes money on both sides. So if they tell you the market is hot, you should buy. They make a 5% commission if they get both ends, 2.5% usually if they don't. If they tell you to sell, my gosh, the world's crashing. You need to sell your real estate because Canada's a horrible place. They make on the sell side as well. So they're churning. You could argue, is it churning? Is it advice? Well, it's not. It's neither. It's just what they do to make uh, to make things work, buying and selling. So the more you buy, the more you sell, the more money they make. So Mary and I were watching this, and I said, can you imagine if they were into two or three stocks as we are that we never sell or buy? We buy a few whenever they go on sale again, but we I don't buy any stuff. What a boring, I think it's a three-hour TV show. What would you talk about? There's, <laughs> well, you bought that REIT, paint's drawing. What, what are you going to say? Like, or like, I just don't. So, so without the constant buying and selling and hype of interest rates and all of that, there's no market, which means people don't get paid. So all I'm asking is that investors, as an investor, you look at, I, I don't, it's not hidden because they're pretty brash about it, but look at how people get compensated and how are people getting paid. And if that's linked to the recommendation, you gotta, you should start to wonder, you know, no one can predict the future. So when the dude comes on, hang on, I got a cough. I got to pause this for a second. So when the expert comes on and talks about what's going to happen with interest rates and why the government should stop raising interest rates. You have to wonder what's the motivation because, you know, if people, enough people listen, he'll be right because, um, you know, statements on shows like that can actually move the markets. So that's why I always ask yourself, 
how is the person pushing this being compensated? Um, in real estate, it's pretty easy to track. You know, that if someone's pushing a investment for you, there's nothing. And, and one of the most, you know, I've been a little down on the Warren Buffett um, phenomena, primarily because uh, um, Berkshire Hathaway makes a lot of money uh, not paying out insurance claims. And I'm a bit biased because I used to work for 30 years with clients and victims of car accidents where insurance companies, and, and a great deal about this has been written, and it's been in investigative uh, journalists and also the, you know, the actual court decisions. It's, it's not the benefit of the insurance company to pay out a claim, let's be clear. And if you read Warren Buffett's letters, each year he writes a letter to his shareholders. He talks about, you know, the problems they may have had because they had to pay out claims or they had a class action suit that finally couldn't be appealed anymore and they had to actually buck up for the victims of something, or car accidents or primarily we'd be talking about uh, natural disasters and so on. So Berkshire Hathaway makes money by collecting premiums. Legally, they can use that to be their bank, so they can invest that money as long as they have enough in surplus to pay projected payout costs of insurance. So that's one business. And the other one I don't like is he's heavily invested in Coca-Cola, which for the most part is sugar water that I don't know how many millions of people have type 2 diabetes because they drink liters of Coke a day, or it's contributed to it. And I don't really like that. But one thing Warren Buffett did say that was great is you never have to swing. In investing you know it's like you're up at the plate unlike baseball where three strikes you're out or four balls you walk if you're an investor you can stand there for 10 years and never swing at a ball never have to dive in now it's likely that something will come along that's you know worth swinging at but there's no rule that you have to now what would happen to those morning shows if that's how they started and they said, you really don't have to listen to any of this because you can stand there, keep your cash in the bank, make, you know, your four or five percent 30 day bond rate, which is, I think, today in Canada. Um, and you don't have to do anything. Just wait, you know, check again in 30 days when your bonds up, go surfing or go fishing or go, um, you know, go look after your honeybees or do some research or whatever it is. It'd be a pretty boring investment world, wouldn't it? Um, so just keep that in mind when you think about, you know, churning and the need to invest. So, so the, let me, let me get to the juicy stocks. So I'm, I'm still digging in. And when I say nibbling, it usually means I buy a thousand shares at a time. So I've been nibbling away at dream residential REIT. It's a Canadian REIT and it has, uh, apartments in Dallas, Fort Worth, Oklahoma City and Cincinnati. It has 3,432 units. It's only been in a public company for one year. It opened around $10 US. It's now $6 to $5.80 a, a trust unit or share. Now, I've been digging away. There's, there's a couple of things that I'm not sure about. And I have to, they, have, they have a Class B trust unit that pays interest. It sounds like a preferred share. But overall, they say the assets, and I did some digging and they're probably correct, are $437 million in value, or a better way to look at it, each apartment value is $127,331. That's the value of each apartment. 
<clears throat> the debt on that is $40,952. That is not a lot of debt. That's in the 31% or so range. And they're selling for 31 cents on the dollar. Now you could argue, well, well what? <laughs> what is going on? Well, it pays a dividend around 7%, which is a number we like. And it owns these apartments and they're all garden style, which means there's no elevators. They're more sprawled out. You know, they have more lifestyle amenities that, that aren't incredible. So it's not like you have a big gym, but you probably have an outdoor pool in Dallas and Oklahoma. I don't know about Cincinnati. It's small by REIT standards. It has a market cap of just $113 million. So it's not a huge company by any means, fairly small, but I like it. So I'm going to start nibbling. Why is it juicy? Well, I don't know, folks, but, you know, if we think of our honeybees and we think of survival and we think of if worse comes to worse, the debt on the, is 40952 per apartment. The value of those apartments is $127,331. So there's about $80,000 in equity profit in each one of those units. And they have 3,000 plus of them. If you multiply that out, what you end up with is a number that is almost three times the current market cap. So I think with the honeybees, we talk about survival. I'm quite sure that if I invest in this, I'll get my money back. Now it has dropped. It was $6.10 or 13 cents. Now it's 5.80 or 90. The point, too, that's interesting is it's also thinly traded because it's uh, it's such a small company. But it's one of those REITs that it has something that you can see. You can, you can, you know, and, and Dream has a portfolio. Of, there's, you know, there's Dream Commercial. There's um, Dream Industrial. So there's different components of this company. So it's almost like the European residential REIT that has a, a huge, uh, basically, um, connection to the largest REIT in Canada, Cap REIT. So it has that infrastructure experience. Um, what I didn't like about it when I dug into the financials, and there's not a lot of them because they've only been public for a couple of years. I didn't really like all of the related party information. I always suggest you look at that because it seems to be that companies that go public recently still have a lot of connections with the owners and i think i talked a lot recently about or some time ago sorry about a company i looked in that invested in mobile homes and it's a canadian listed company that invests in mobile homes in the states and there were some aspects of related party transactions that i didn't like that the Former owners had an exclusive opportunity to do landscaping, HVAC, and I believe mobile home sales, which I thought were all sucking profits away from my pocket. And when I called the, I actually called and talked to one of the CEOs who had one of these related party uh, sort of deals. He kind of poo-pooed it and said, yeah, you know, it's just a couple million bucks or whatever. Then I talked to someone who I respect who really knows the REIT industry, and he said it's common for all of them to have that, particularly at the inception or the beginning of the process of going public. And I get that. I guess I just didn't like the response, so I didn't invest in that company. With this one, 
now that I know that's sort of a common practice, I'm going to follow and, you know, nibble away, invest 1,000 shares here and there. Still getting the 7% or so return and diversifying a little bit from Europe into the United States. Um, in Canada, I have not found one yet that I want to own other than the private stuff we have. And I, I think there still are, is opportunities out there in uh, in properties, especially when I hear and put this in quotation marks, the experts who, who say they're leaving Canada and going to the United States because it's so horrible to invest here. Another final comment on Airbnb, I don't know if you follow it here in Canada, but the British Columbia government has provided all kinds of new restrictions on Airbnb. That's the provincial government. So that'd be like a state uh, implementing uh, rules. And now our lovely prime minister, who I guess has nothing else to do, is also weighed in saying he's going to look at all ways to restrict short-term rentals because they're just destroying the housing industry in Canada. And that's Justin for you. Now, because we know Justin's history, that's our prime minister, we know he's going to plug your ears, screw this up. So I think it's, if you're in an area with uh, Airbnbs where, you know, we're quite sure they're going to be okay, say, uh, you know, recreational areas, small towns perhaps, you're probably going to end up having a huge barrier to entry, meaning it's going to be very difficult for anyone else to break into that market if it's a market that, continues to to thrive and I think it will because it's going to be very selective there's going to be very few of them and they're going to be incredible experiences so remember whenever government jumps in they generally screw it up so the more you hear about regulation it's not a time to run usually it's a time to look at what you have and how can you take advantage of those opportunities I'm Hank for invest like a honeybee. It's been great talking to you. Sorry about the voice thing. Hopefully the next time I log in, it'll be much better. Be, be mindful of the churn and also your self churn where you go in and out and buy and sell stocks. I mean, nine bucks a transaction adds up over time. And secondly, just, just have a look if, you know, don't do it, but have a look and, and just analyze dream residential. And maybe you'll disagree with me. It may not be a uh, great juicy investment as I think it is. And remember before you do anything, talk to your investment advisors or your bankers. I'm not an investment advisor, but I'm just having way too much fun. You have an amazing week and we'll talk soon. To learn more about how honeybees can help you in your investing and personal life, go to investlikeahoneybee.com. There you'll learn how listening to the honeybees helped us in so many ways and can help you. Investlikeahoneybee.com